Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. If you're in Kidmo, you can head on back to Kidmo. If you are a guest and you have a second through sixth grader, Kidmo is uh, a place where they can go enjoy their own time of teaching, small groups, some games, sometimes crafts, and uh, fun. And you're welcome to walk back and see them and uh, see what they're doing. But we're glad that you're here with us. If you, uh, you guys come on in, find you a seat. Uh, we may need some people to scoot up, or you can come sit closer up to the front and be right in the spit zone. You can be right up here, which is a very appealing place to be, right? Uh, I try not to spit. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know um, again about an event that's happening this evening. I would invite all of you to. Uh, we have been a part of an organization called Pray Chattanooga, and Pray Chattanooga, the goal was uh, it, was, it was really created by Roger Hellas at Teen Challenge. He's the director of Teen Challenge and has been for years. And uh, it, we had our first event on, I believe it was July 16th. It was a one-year anniversary of the shooting in Chattanooga. And the purpose of Pray Chattanooga is to bring churches from all around our city together to pray for each other, to pray for our city, and to seek a move of God in our city. And so last event we had, we had it at City Church, and we had about 800 people come from all different churches, all different types of churches, um, all different ethnicities, all different backgrounds, all you know, different nations. It was really a wonderful thing. And so we're having another event today. You may or may not know today is, is being celebrated by many, or maybe not celebrated or remembered by many as Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so we're having a prayer service at 5 o'clock today. It's going to be at um, Stewart Heights in Hickson. Now, you may think they have two Hickson campuses. It's the one right across from Crystal. So if you want to get a good, healthy meal just before or after, you can go to Crystal first and then go right across the street to their Hickson campus. They've opened it up um, so that we can go and be in there. And I would just invite for you to, for you to come. Um, it's, it's a different kind of service. It's some incredible worship, but it's also some very targeted time of prayer as a community. And I will just tell you, I, it was powerful, um, the one we had in July. And we've got two more scheduled in 2017 after this one, but I really would love for you to come and be a part of that tonight. It's five o'clock tonight. It'll last about an hour and a half. And, uh, and we, I know you've got lots to going on, but I'm telling you, it, it's a moving experience to be with the body of Christ. So I hope that you would come and be a part of that. I want to share a story with you that is, was a difficult um, learning lesson for me at Christmas. <clears throat> Some of you know my parents, and they have been a part of our church for quite a while. And um, last year, I've shared this story before, and I've got somewhere I want to go with it, but last year, I bought my dad the gift of Christmas. It was a Yeti cup. Now, how many of you have a Yeti cup? All right. It was a horrible experience. I just want you to know. We bought it. I had to call all over town to find one because they were all gone. And I finally found one. I said, hold it. I'm on my way. Dad's going to love this because dad always has a cup with him with some kind of drink in it. Always. Now, he's going to love this. I mean, does he know that this thing, if your car catches on fire, the ice will still be cold in your cup <laughs> after the fire goes out? I mean, they're, they're amazing. And so I got it and gave it to him, and Dad gave what some of you have seen and some of your family members and friends you've given gifts to, the, ah, oh, thanks, you really shouldn't have look on his face, which I couldn't get. And so my dad told me, 
that, you know, what well, I really, I just, I really like my Waggles cup. Now, how many of you know what Waggles is? All right, if you've lived here and never left Chattanooga, you don't know what Waggles is. But up in Knoxville and some other places, Waggles is a big deal. It's like racetrack, speedway, and kangaroo all mixed together into one. It's just a magnificent place of terrible food and overpriced snacks. And so dad gets the styrofoam cup. Now, you, most of you use your styrofoam cup one time and throw it away. Dad keeps his for several days and refills it. Actually goes back to Waggles with his styrofoam cup to refill the same cup, even when a brand new unused cup is absolutely free. But that's how dad rolls. And so he said, you know, just take it back. Thanks and take it back. And <clears throat> so what we ended up doing is when Father's Day rolled around, we, I went to Waggles and I got him a full stack of styrofoam cups <laughs> and a gift card. He loved it. It's the best gift I've ever gave him. It's the I'm most ashamed I ever was given a gift, but he loved it. He absolutely loved it. So this leads up to this Christmas, which was a very difficult time for me. Deidre decided to buy me a Yeti cup. (laughs) And she was excited, and she gave it to me, and I received it, what I can only express as a similar look that my father gave. Now, I have brought onto the stage with me my blue solo cup, which I don't normally bring up on Sunday mornings, but I brought it for a reason, because you see, when I drink, I work here at the church, and we've got a nice water fountain right out here in the hallway, and I have a Yeti cup, uh, not a Yeti cup, a blue Solo cup that I take to the water fountain whenever I'm thirsty. I down it, I walk back there, I fill it back up. Literally, one Solo cup will last me months, because at the end of the day, I'll drink whatever's in it, and it'll dry out, and it'll be fine the next day. If somebody does not throw away my blue Solo cup, Marie... I'm speaking to you. (laughs) If somebody does not throw away my blue solo cup, then it will literally stay there as long as it can. I mean, that's the way I work. And so I told Deidre, and I said, Deidre, you know, I really, I don't know that I need a Yeti cup. I love my blue solo cup. I sound just like my father. Now, have you ever had a moment, a growing moment in your life, where you realize you are becoming something you never thought you would become. All of the shame of buying those styrofoam cups were heaped on me in a self-imposed realization, I am becoming my father. Now, let me just say, those of you who know my parents, that is not altogether a bad thing. But if Deidre and I want, if we need to throw a barb... It has something to do with me becoming like my dad and her becoming like her mother, you know? You throw that out there and the gloves are off. The reason I share that with you is I want to talk to you about what it means to grow. And as I grow and get older, I realize that some of the expectations I had when I was a child, I have not lived up to. And I know I'm the only one in the room because all of you have fulfilled every dream and desire you've ever had in your life. But for me, I have not. And when I was a child, I had all kinds of dreams. As an adult, I thought, I will be my own man. I will not be like my dad or like anyone else. I'm going to be me. And as I grow, I realize, you know, their influence is overwhelming. I am going to become, and that's not a bad thing. 
When I was a child, I thought, I'm going to graduate college, I'm going to move to New York, and I'm going to make lots of money, and I'm going to buy the latest everything, and I am going to just, I'm going to love life. And I didn't do that. And then God led me into ministry, and I thought, okay, we're going to do ministry. God, I don't know, that's not going to fit into my plan, but okay, we'll do this. So we did ministry, and it ended up being a great thing. And I remember looking out over the course of different churches that were out there, and about the time I came into ministry was a big church planning movement, and I remember thinking, why would anyone start a church? Why would you do that? With so many churches that are already established, paying full-time salaries, why would anyone start a church with nothing? And we started a church. Not what I had intended. We started having kids. We started, I said, Deidre, you know, two is about all we can handle. We cannot have more than two kids. And along comes Jonathan. And now we have three. I looked around at some people doing some great things, and I looked at foster parents, and I thought, man, it's a, it's, it's a calling to be a foster parent. I just, I admire them, and that is just such a wonderful thing, but I would never do that. And now we're foster parents. Reality is that life does not always turn out the way we think it's going to turn out, does it? It doesn't always go in the direction that we're going to go. And what I have found in each one of those instances is had I fulfilled my dream and my desire early in my life, I would have missed out on much of the joy that I experience now. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about what does it mean to grow up as a Christian. In our series called Be the Body, last week I talked a lot about becoming a part of the body of Christ. What happens when you become a Christian? It is not simply we don't have to go to hell and we get to go to heaven. Supernatural things happen around a person giving their heart and life to Christ. They are ultimately changed and will be changed forever. Maybe not changed in the blink of an eye, but they will begin a process of change in their life that God will continue as long as we allow him. Kind of these thoughts of me growing up, and I'm at an age where I'm beginning to think more about these types of things most of the time, when I look at my life and my growing and my finding what really does matter to me, not what I thought mattered to me, but what really does, I find that most of the time, growing up means getting out of my own way. Oftentimes, what we try to do with our kids is we try to get them out of their own way. And what I mean by that is, it's very easy for us to spend all our time focused on what do I need and want out of life. And whenever we do that, we zero in on one person ourselves, and we miss the rest of the world. And the reality is, there's much out here that you and I miss when we do not commit to a lifestyle of growth. When we don't commit to a lifestyle of growth, then we become focused on what's going on with us. But what God wants to do with me and what God wants to do with you is He wants to expand our world... But when our thoughts are on ourselves, we miss everything else. 1 Corinthians 13 says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Scripture tells us that there is a point that you and I have the opportunity to grow beyond where we are. What we know from practice is that we can resist that call. When we resist that call, what we end up doing is we end up staying focused 
on me, myself, and I. And this is what Paul is talking about. I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. In reality, if we're going to see the world as it is around us, only the maturing can see beyond what is literally just right in front of them. It is only those who have committed to a lifestyle of maturing that their eyes are open to what's really going on around them. A person literally can be so focused on themselves that it's like having blinders that you can't see anything else that's happening in your life. How do we find out who some of those people are? It's easy in a conversation. The conversation always becomes about them. You have those friends? It always turns. My mother just passed away. Oh, man, I know. When my mother passed away and I was this and I was that and I was this and I was that, but no care for the person whose mother has just passed away. You know, we see it in people when we look at their goals and their dreams. Do our goals and our dreams impact anyone other than ourselves? Or are they all just about us? It is only the maturing that put away childish ways that are able to see beyond what is just right in front of them. And I will tell you this, and this is what I want to share with you for the rest of this morning. For those that begin to see what is beyond just right in front of them, those are the most content people in Christ. When you can see beyond what's just in front of us. Now, what do I mean by just in front of us? You get up in the morning, you get dressed, you eat, you go to work, you deal with the relationships at work, you come home, you deal with what you've got to do at home, and then you go to bed at night, and then you do this next thing the next day. If that is the way that you see the world, you need to understand there's much more going on around you than just that. When we begin to see beyond what's just right in front of us, we begin to look at our relationships differently because we don't just see what they're presenting us. We see what's going on beyond, behind those words, behind those eyes, behind those feelings. Because it is, has been known to happen that occasionally someone will present something other than what's really going on inside. And so when we begin to see beyond what's just in front of us, we begin to look deeper. We don't just look at a person's mistakes and say, you know what, they deserved it. Look at the mistakes they made. We begin to see the need that led to making those mistakes. See, whenever we choose to decide or choose to mature, then we do have the opportunity to see beyond what is right in front of us. So last week, I shared with you what happens when we become a Christian. And I shared four basic things, and we're not going to go over all this again, but I just wanted to remind you what happens if you are a follower of Christ beyond the fact of what happens when you die. Scripture tells us that literally when you are born again, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. That means you are adopted into God's family. The Holy Spirit comes over you and begins to fill you. It is an incredible promise that you are not going to have to do this life on your own. And this deposit, this promise, and this gift of God living within you begins at that moment. We also discovered that your sins are no longer counted against you. That is justification. That is salvation in which you no longer have to worry about being judged for your sins. We accept God's atonement through Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus gave his life for us, he took the punishment for our sins. And while I still am trying to reach that place where I don't sin as much, I'm not there yet, 
but thankfully I will not be held accountable for all those sins. I don't want to stay in that place, but I know that God will forgive me. What we also discover supernaturally that happens in your life when you become a Christian is that the Holy Spirit begins to shape your life. No, you no longer have to just figure out, okay, these are the behaviors I now need to mimic. I need to do everything I can to make sure I do those. But in reality, the Holy Spirit is there to help make this change within you. We work with Him, not apart from Him. And so the Holy Spirit begins to shape our lives, and we begin to see that change over the course of our lives. Many of those early decisions I had as a child, they began to change because the Holy Spirit was working on me and began to show me a world beyond what I knew as a child because I had a very limited view of what was real. And so as he changed me, it changed many of the goals and the directions of our life to here's where we are today. And to be quite honest, I don't know where we'll be tomorrow. Because when you reach that place of seeing the Holy Spirit work, you begin to say, God, I will go where you tell me to go. I will do what you tell me to do. And not that we always do it or always do it well. But the invitation is always there. And then finally, I shared the fourth thing, where water baptism is simply a symbol for what that decision is, that we are dying to our old selves and we are being born into a new life. Many things happen at the time when a person comes to faith. But what happens beyond that moment? And this is where I think a lot of people get stuck. What happens beyond I've decided to follow Jesus? Now what? And that's where I want us to go. It's a commitment, if you haven't figured it out already, to grow and to mature. I shared <coughs> excuse me, last week that there is an eternal difference between knowing the truth and accepting. And we looked at the story of Nicodemus. He knew all the truth, but he never understood any of it because he never understood who Jesus was. Now, that would change, but in our story, it did not. When we know Christ when we really know him, that is the moment that we begin to grow. That is the moment that we begin to mature. In addition, whenever the body has body parts, because we talked about that, we each have a role to play. As each body part matures, that means the whole body matures. I want you to think about that for a minute. The maturity level of any church is determined by the maturity level of every believer in that church. Sometimes we walk into a church and we think, well, I'm going de- to determine how healthy this church is based on what I hear from the, from the sermon, what kind of music they do, and what kind of teaching they have. In all honesty, that is a very corporate model of church. That is a way that we can build institutions and we can pack in lots of people and we can build huge buildings, but it does not necessarily reflect what it means to be the church. In the body of Christ, which is how Scripture talks about the church, where we are not an institution. We are not an organization. Now, we are for the state purposes so we can exist and we can sit in these chairs and pay these bills and conduct all the things that we can conduct as a church. But in God's eyes, none of that matters. What matters is what's happening in each individual that is within the church. As each part matures, the whole body matures. A good example of that is I've gotten older, I, I go to the gym, and I, I have a few more aches than I used to have. And so I'll start working out, and these young guys, you know, they're all pumped and buff and everything, and Jake's, you know, he's about to overtake me here, and 
So I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to keep my standing. And things hurt a little more. Now, not everything hurts, you know. My big toe is doing good. It's doing really good, actually. Probably the best it's ever felt in my entire life. But at the time that my elbow hurts, I don't care how my toe feels. It's my elbow that hurts, right? Now, you guys who are young who are judging me right now, and I see the judgment in your eyes. I see it. It's coming to you one day, faster than you think. Every body part matters. Every body part that works well makes the whole body work better. Every body part that is struggling causes the whole body to struggle. And in reality, when we begin to look at the body of Christ as Scripture talks about it, it begins to change our understanding of our role in it. You see, we come into this, and I remember when I was a kid, I thought the pastor was a great job to have, and, and you know, he only works about an hour and a half a week, and then he goes and, I guess, plays the rest of the week until it's time for the next service. He just shows up for the next service, does his thing, and then he's off. But, man, that's a great job to have. Sometimes we think that the church is all about the person who's leading, who's speaking, that's up front, who's on the stage. But that is not the way that Scripture talks about it. Do you realize that the only thing Scripture says about someone who is in leadership within the church, it says really two things about that person. Number one, they should be honored because they know it's hard work because God knows it's hard work that they've been called to. But that pales in comparison to the second, which is, you better be spot on because you will be judged much more harshly than anybody else. So take that with a grain of salt or not. See, within the context of the church as to what God says is that you matter. You build the church. The church is not about the person who's up front. They are one piece in the rest of the body. They are not the piece. They are not the most important piece, and they do not hold any count to God above anyone else. It is a role in the body. And when everybody's fulfilling that role, the body matures. When every body part begins to mature and takes it upon themselves to grow, you will find that community growing. And I don't just mean in numbers. We'll get more people in here. I mean, you will see them growing in relationships. You will see them growing in service. You will see them growing in discernment and teaching and encouragement. You will see that body grow. When we know Christ, we begin to grow and mature, and the body will mature as the members of the body mature. That's what we seek to do, <clears throat> and that is what we are attempting to do through this series, to talk through what do these things mean. Ephesians chapter 4 is where I want to spend the rest of our time. Verse 1 says, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul was not just talking to church leaders. He was talking to every believer that would read this letter. And I want you to process, imagine that God has called you. God has called you. Not just a missionary. A lot of times we think, you know, it's just like the Billy Graham types. Those are the ones that get called. But no, God called you. And when we begin to understand this invitation, we begin to understand the weight of it. My mom used to tell me when I was a kid, she hoped I never got invited to the White House. 
And mostly there was a manners lesson involved in that statement. Because we represent those who we are closest to. When we are called, we represent the one who has called us. If you've ever put your neck out on the line for a friend to get them a job or, or get the, you know, have a date with a friend, you know, it's always, it's always a little tricky to set up your friends, isn't it? Because you might lose two friends over it. That person that you've put your neck out for, they represent you. And you want them to represent you well. You don't want them to be a jerk. You don't want them to get the job and then not work. You want them to represent you well. God has called you, which means we must represent him, every one of us. And God doesn't look at Journey Church and judge all of Journey Church based on an average. He looks at each one of our individual hearts. So when we represent the one who has called us, a question we do have to ask ourselves is this. Are we representing well? Is God honored by the representation we give through his calling? Do other people see Christ in us and through us? We represent him in so many ways. We represent him in the language that we use. We represent him with the behavior that we have and we exhibit We represent him with our attitudes. I know at this time of year, it's very easy to have a down negative attitude. It's very easy. I'm so happy we have the rain after such a dry fall, such a dry last part of the summer. I'm so happy to have the rain, but I'm ready for the rain to be gone, right? It doesn't feel good. I don't feel positive whenever there's clouds out for days at a time, whenever there's no sun to be seen for days at a time. I don't feel good. But truly, our attitudes are a representation of the one who has called us. Do we think positively about what's coming up? Do we have hope? Or are we always in despair? My, my go-to personality, if I just am my natural self, is to slip towards despair. I can very easily find problems before I find what's going well. I think probably many of us would say that's how we naturally fit. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit, and then sometimes it is just a natural gift of the personality that God has given you. It is a work of the Holy Spirit for the rest of us to be able to look at our attitudes and keep them in check. Do we walk in the room and do we bring light? Do we walk in the, in the room and do we bring gloom? Our attitudes matter. We represent the one who has called us in our service. And as we read in Ephesians 4, we represent God, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13, we represent God in the way that we love. God has called us. A question that we've got to ask ourselves in this maturing process is do we represent well? I will tell you that early on to where I am now, I think I am representing better. My hope is that down the road, I will represent even better. It is not about you being the perfect Christian, because if you could be the perfect Christian, there would be no need for God's grace and mercy. But instead, I do look at my life and say, I need to continue to honor him. If we read that verse again and go on to the next couple, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
<clears throat> eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, well, here's what I want you to notice from these first few verses. In a manner worthy of the calling, with all humility. Humility cannot be focused on yourself. If you are a humble person, you are focused on others as well. It is not just about us. With all humility, with all gentleness, which means we don't force things to go our way. We are gentle with others. With patience, because the timetable is not mine and the timetable is not yours. We are patient because we recognize a timetable as someone else's. We bear with one another in love, which, quite interestingly, you'll never find a single verse in Scripture that says, live your life honoring God alone as an individual. You will never find that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, every time when God talks about the body of Christ or an individual Christian, it always has to do with one another. There's always other people involved. But you and I live in a world that that's not the case. You and I live in a world right now where everyone's focused on themselves. And much of the conflict, much of the despair and depression that is going on in the world is a result of all these individual pieces trying to grab their piece of the pie and ignoring everybody else's needs. And so we butt heads. Because we believe there's only so much to go around and I am committed for me getting it and you not. So we have conflict. We have despair because we no longer believe good things about each other. We no longer believe life is going to be good. Instead, we have to realize it is not and never has been about you or me. Life is not and it never has been. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't believed it before. But in truth, as our eyes are open and we see beyond what's just in front of us, it isn't and never has been about you or me. Verse 4 goes on to describe what is it about. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It is always and always will be about God. If you're frustrated in your life, I would encourage you to remind yourself it is, is it and always will be about God always. Whenever I try to make it about me, and and a lot of people try to make God about themselves, and I've tried it myself, we try to make God about us. Our prayer life is focused on what God should be doing versus what he is doing. And so when we begin to understand, (coughs) excuse me, that it is about God and is not about me, it will begin to change the way we live. Verse 7 says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It was a gift to us. We didn't get it. We didn't earn it. Again, it's not about us. It was given to us, unwarranted, without any way to pay back. It was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led hosted captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9 says, I'm saying he ascended. What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And it is this realization that we begin to say, I don't fill all things. I want to. I want to figure it all out. I want to make it all work. I want to make it happen the way I want it to happen. He fills all things, not me. 
He took the punishment. He ascended to heaven. He, as we read through the book of John, is the one who went over and created all that God spoke. He has been here forever and will be forever. And as we struggle through this world, he is the one that will come back and ultimately rescue us for all time. That is what God does, not me. I wish it was me, but it's not me. I have no control. It is what God does. We are given a measure, not the whole thing. You and I, we exist to support one another. You and I, we support one another. See, if I can't do it on my own, you can't do it on your own, then somehow we got to figure out how to do it together. And this is one of the breakdowns in the church today because it's a breakdown in the world today. We don't support each other. We fight. We yell. We say, this is my position, but you're wrong. We see it on the news. We see it in the election. We see it just about anywhere that somebody is making money by being on TV. There is a move to divide people. And I will tell you, that's the enemy's goal, is to divide people. But for you and I, when we see the truth, when we know the truth, when we recognize it's all about God and not about us, we begin to see it is about our relationship together. We are meant to support each other. Verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Here's some of the different parts of the body that fit together to perform different roles. Some of you are great at, at a role that I am no good at. And I'm good at some roles that you're not good at. We all have our role. And these are some of the roles that Paul described. And he describes it in about four other, three other places in Scripture. And begins to talk about how the Holy Spirit gifts you to fulfill your place in the body of Christ. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's all of us. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, God's plan is not for you to use him to get through this world. It's not for you to figure out how to get through this world. God's plan was always for you to go through this world with others. In fact, whenever he sent his disciples out, he never sent them out as individuals. He always sent them out in at least a party of two. And other places, he sent them out in larger groups together because he expected us to work together. He expected us to need each other. He expected us to fill each other's lack of ability. Where I have a hole, you can fill that hole. And where you have a hole, I can fill that hole. And we together can be more whole than we can be apart. God's plan is for us to continue building each other up until his return. That means every day of our lives. So we're going to have service every single day for the rest of your life right here. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. But that is the way that we work out our daily activities. It's never been easier to be more connected to people. And yet it's never been easier to be less connected. So I encourage you that God's plan is for us to continue building each other up until he returns. That is the purpose of the body. Now that means... That when we come and visit a church, now some of you, you're new to Journey, some of you may be guests today. I know, it's been a while, but I know what it's like to be a guest in the church. I know how that process goes, and it's a, it's a terrible process most of the time. 
You go and visit, you don't know anybody, you don't know where to go, you're not sure how things are going to go and or how long the preacher's going to keep you know, talking and when you get to leave and go have lunch. And then you sit down and there's, depending on where you've been in your past, you wonder, I hope I'm not in somebody's seat that's going to want it. It's a harrowing process. And so when you come in and you begin, <clears throat> begin to be involved, when you begin to see what it's like to be within a community, we move from thinking, what is it going to offer me? What am I going to get out of this? Is the teaching something that I'm going to like? Is the music something that I'm going to like? Are the people people that I even want to sit next to? And as we mature, we stop seeing those experiences through the lens of what do I get out of this? And we begin to see through the lens of what do I give out of this? Your closest relationships, unless it's a terribly unhealthy relationship, which those do happen, your closest relationships likely are close because you have developed a lifestyle of giving to each other. You give in some way to each other. You encourage each other. You're there to answer the call when they've had a bad day. You maybe give gifts at birthdays or anniversaries or Christmas, whatever. But you have developed a lifestyle of giving to each other. You're in need. I'm there to meet that need. I'm in need. You're there to meet my need. That's how we form our closest relationships. That's why it's so important that we serve each other, and that's also how we strengthen our marriages. We strengthen our marriages by the way that we invest in each other and that we serve each other. Verse 14 says, so that, <coughs> excuse me, so that we may, the whole purpose of this, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what we seek here. That's what I seek for my life. That's what I seek for my children's lives. I want them not to be perfect, but I want them to learn how this works and they can see beyond what's just right in front of them. I want theirs and I want your goals to expand far beyond what you may ever benefit from to be able to be a part of God's plan and what God wants to do in your life. See, it is those opportunities that we begin to grow up in every way into him who is the head, not the co-head. He's not my co-pilot, which is the worst bumper sticker I think that's ever been made. God is my co-pilot. Well, you're in big trouble then because he doesn't operate that way. He is the head. So here's what happens. I want to share eight things quickly with you. What happens when we grow up? This is what should be happening in your life if you're growing. I'm not saying they all happen at the same time, and I'm not saying that they're all perfectly definable. However, I think these are eight things that happen when anybody begins to grow up in their faith. Number one, we trust God more. We trust God more. <clears throat> That's what faith is. Faith is trusting God. Trusting God, He is who He says He is. Trusting God, He'll do what He says He'll do. We just, we trust God more. When we begin to trust Him more, we begin to let go of our understanding and we begin to embrace God's understanding. We begin to let go of my hopes and dreams. We begin to embrace God's hopes and dreams. Things begin to change 
I don't have to be in control anymore because I trust Him to be in control. I don't have to get my way anymore because I'm old enough to, to recognize sometimes when I get my way, it's not a good thing. When we trust Him more, that changes. When we're growing up, we trust God more. Number two, this is what I love. We begin to see life as an adventure. I, I honestly don't know a person growing in their faith that doesn't see life in some way as an adventure. I, I really I don't know anybody. It's one of the reasons that I did go into ministry. It's one of the reasons we planted a church. It's one of the reasons that we are involved in a fostering program. It's because I learned early on through watching some people that did it well and also listening to the Holy Spirit within my own heart that if I follow the path that God is leading, it's always the better adventure than when I just map out my own. It's always better. <clears throat> we begin to see life as an adventure, and the reason is because we begin to trust God and His direction over our own. And if you are in a point of life where you do not feel like life is an adventure, and there are many reasons why that may be, Sometimes our jobs suck the adventure out of us. It's so mundane. We hate it. It doesn't challenge us. And so I just feel stuck, and I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. It can feel like life's not an adventure. But really, I think there are two reasons, primarily why people don't see life's an adventure if they're a Christian. I think the first one, is simply God is preparing you. There is no way to define this, to quantify this, or to prepare ourselves for this. There are some adventures that if you jump into it without being prepared first, you're going to absolutely fail. There have been times in my life I've said, God, I don't know what the next thing is, but I'm ready. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to see what you're doing. God, I'm not really pleased with what's going on right now, but whatever you've got cooking, I'll be ready. And I can see over time, and again, this is why Scripture tells us we need to honor those who are are older because they have seen a span of a lifetime where we've just seen small little pieces up till then. And as I get older, I begin to see how God has prepared me at different times. And had I understood the call before I was prepared, I would have failed or never taken that direction. So it's possible if you don't feel like life's an adventure, God is actually molding you and preparing you. That is possible. It does happen, and it does happen often. But what happens most of the time when life is not an adventure is because we have chosen for it not to be. We have to own this. God's given us the call. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He has the plan. He's got something planned for you. But he doesn't force us into it. You and I have to take the steps to enter into that adventure. And here's the thing about adventure. Adventure always has an element of fear and risk. And many of the reasons that people never embark on that adventure is because they let the fear and the risk overtake them. But something bad could happen. What if it can't work out? What if I fail? See, when you begin to trust God more, you begin to take those opportunities and you begin to take steps that before you were unwilling to do. Third thing, when we grow up, our abundant life, we love abundant life. We love to talk about abundant life. We read scripture on abundant life and then go home and wonder, why don't I have abundant life? 
And one of the reasons is because we define abundant life the wrong way. We define abundant life by what the world sees about us. How am I living? What do I have? Am I fulfilled? But abundant life in Scripture is never about those things because those things are all about me. Abundant life in Scripture is always about God. Our abundant life is rooted in knowing and following Christ instead of gaining the things in or of this world. But you and I are trapped. We are trapped in an age. We are trapped in a time in which we are bombarded no matter where we go. It's on billboards. It's on our phones. It's on TV. If you go to the movies, if you read a magazine or a newspaper, or you just sit there quietly by yourself amongst others, we are rooted in an age where it's all about getting stuff. And the reason that that thing you thought, if I just have this, everything will be good, and then it didn't last, is because it never lasts. Because our abundant life is not found there. That took me a long time to learn. I'm still working on that one. As I think about all the things I would like to have in addition to what God offers. But when we're growing and maturing, we recognize that our abundant life is rooted in knowing and following Him. That's where we're filled. That's where we're whole. Not in me getting the stuff of this world. Number four, the thing happens when you grow up, you become obedient. Now, I know that's a bad word. It's obedience to God's Word. And it's less about giving up control and more about gaining more abundance and following Him. You see, obedience is a bad thing when we don't respect or trust the one in which we are obeying. But when we respect and we trust the one in whom we're obeying, we obey because that is life and that is better than the alternative. This is why the world sees the Ten Commandments as a bad thing and wants them removed, whereas we see it as this, these principles lead to life, abundant life. Obedience is more about giving or gaining abundance and following Him. Number five, when we grow up, we experience the Holy Spirit more noticeably and follow His leading more quickly. This is what I think a lot of people miss. I know a lot of pastors miss this because we go and we find out what the latest pastor did to grow their church or the latest sermon series. It was the best thing that we've ever heard in our lives and we copy it and we try to do whatever they did and we'll have the results that they had. You don't know that about pastors, do you? Or maybe you do. There's a whole industry under churches that thrives on saying, yours isn't good enough. You don't have enough. Now they, they got more than you. Do what they did. And for $99.95, you can have it. And the really good stuff you've got to pay monthly for, and they cut you off when you stop paying. That's why I find it amazing. You can go buy a sermon online. I think, gosh, this is God's word. God's inspiration to his people, and we're asking people to pay for it. It's crazy what goes on within church circles. See, that's indicative of what's going on in our lives, in our culture. It's not just what's happening in our leadership, because sometimes leadership feels this pressure. I gotta, we gotta, they all expect us to grow like an organization grows. Whereas God wants us as individual body parts to grow, and the rest will be taken care of. We experience the Holy Spirit more noticeably and we follow His leading more quickly and we begin to see what God is moving and we begin to move with Him rather than trying to fake it. We actually experience the work of God within our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit is there for. The sixth thing that happens, when we grow up, prayer becomes as regular as speaking to your best friend. 
I've told you before, if there were two qualities that would revolutionize your life, it would be your prayer life, and it would be the ability to speak to God. And I don't mean to tell God things, but I mean to speak to Him as you would with someone else, a good friend. And the second is to be able to hear from Him. If you can develop those two characteristics, you will never be bored, you will never wonder if God is real, and you will be on the adventure of a lifetime. Number seven, we begin to see the giftedness that we have in our lives and see opportunities to share it. This is where Scripture talks about pouring it out. We begin to see how God has blessed us, see how God has gifted us, and we want to give it to others. That's why we serve. That's why we make intentional efforts to serve here on Sunday morning and other times of the week. That's why we look for opportunities to serve those outside of our church. Because we begin to see what God has given us is not just for me to benefit from, but for me to share with others so they can benefit. God has given that for me to help you benefit. And God has given you things so that I can benefit, that I don't have myself. Our giftedness is for others, not for ourselves. And the eighth thing that I want to share with you, while we can go on and on, the eighth thing I want to share with you this morning is that our hearts grow to be about community. This is when we begin to see the world for what it is. This is what the world is missing. The world is missing community. We live in houses that are built right on top of each other because the developers make more money that way. And yet we know fewer of our neighbors than at any other time in our lives. Crazy. It's crazy that there's no community in this world. We go into a store and we have fights on Black Friday. We walk in and we don't give preference to others. It's no longer about opening the door for somebody else. We expect to get in before they do. We get in a line that's too slow and we let the cashier know about it because they have hampered us, hindered us in the daily schedule that we've had. There's no community. We see what someone has done wrong. We don't feel the urge to help. We feel the urge to judge. The community is apart from all of that. Community is when we come together. It's when we ask the question, how can I be a part of your life and help you with your life? And in community, it's where you come and say, how can I help you with your life as well? Community is where joy is found. Community is where wholeness is found. Community is where the church is its strongest. And yet we still struggle with this in the church. Because our lives were so trained to be focused on our own stuff, our own selves. I know that we mature when our thoughts move on from ourselves to others. And many of those things I shared with you before, that's exactly what's going on. (coughs) So finally, that's all great, but how do we grow, right? How, How do we do this? Well, there's no quick answer, and there's no one sermon to talk about how we grow, but there are some principles and activities that I have found lead to growing because they usher in all the other opportunities to let God work in your life, which is how you grow. One is you trust God and follow His Word. That's how we grow. You trust God and follow His Word. We don't read His Word and go, well, you know, I don't really agree with that. You know what? It doesn't matter if I agree with it because remember, it's not about me. It's about Him. We trust Him, and we follow His Word. This is where Scripture says, don't just be hearers, but be doers. Hearing does nothing. Doing, that does something. 
That sounds like a bad pun, but it's true. Doing does something. I, didn't, I just thought about that too. If anybody wants to write that down and quote me. Doing does something. Very profound this morning. But trust God and follow His Word. Second thing is a, a non-negotiable. Repent often. Repent often. Now, repentance, like obedience, is often viewed negatively. I mean, i got to sit here and tell God how bad I am? No. <laughs> That's not what repentance is about. Repentance is about aligning our values with His values. Now, I wish I got up every morning full of God's values, and that's all I'm doing today. But unlike you, I'm not able to do that. And so I often have to repent. It is a process of aligning my values with His so that they're no longer about me but about Him. Third one, very simple. I've already said this. Do what God says. Just do it. I found early, early, early in my my faith the, the joy in fulfilling something I read in Scripture. I began to do it, and I began to feel it. I knew this honored God. I knew God was pleased with me. I knew this was a good thing in the world, even if it was uncomfortable. Do what God says. You'll get nudgings from the Holy Spirit. Scripture also gives us a rich amount of instruction. Whenever someone says, tells me, I just don't, I just don't hear God moving or see God moving in my life. I almost always ask the question, well, tell, me about your, tell me about your Bible study. Well, I'm not doing much of that. Well, then why would God take the time to move you in any other way if you won't do the, mo- the easiest, most basic way to know what he says? That's not meant to be condescending. It's the absolute truth. Nudgings don't come until we're already obeying the things we know. And much of God's Word is there. Once you begin to move, and I don't mean you have to get through half the Bible. I'm doing it all. I've got another list of things I need to do. I don't mean that. It's a change in our heart to say, I submit. And the fourth thing, how do we grow? And this is so crucial because this is a process. You have to celebrate every victory in overcoming yourself. Yeah, but it was a small victory. But it was a victory. Yeah, but it's not like so-and-so. Yeah, but it was a victory. Celebrate it. God's celebrating it. And God is not going, yeah, you know, Mark, that was good, but you know what they did. And that was really good. God never does that. God says, man, Mark, that was so good. And you can feel it because that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit within a believer. For all these four things, I don't know where you are, and maybe they're not as specific as you would like them to be. It's one of the reasons that we do this every Sunday is because there's no way to give one message and you're good. We'll see you next year. There's so much. But these are four activities. These are four practices and principles that if you will embrace them, then you will see change in your life. You will begin to grow and mature. And as you as an individual in our body grow, our whole body grows. Because whenever you begin to see the world differently, you interact with it differently. When you begin to interact with the world differently, it affects everyone around you. So as you come here today, and as you're maybe a guest, or maybe, maybe you haven't been here long, you don't know many people, and you're wondering, how do I fit in this body? One of the things I would challenge you to is to move beyond, how do I fit in this body, and find, how can I give to this body? Be in charge of building those relationships. Now, I know that scares some of you to death because you're like me, and I walk into a room with people I don't know. I'm like, you know, 
got black walls. I'm going to wear all black and stand next to the wall. Nobody will know I'm even here. It'll be great. And I'll get out. There's a door there. I can get out quickly. And I can get out that door quickly. And, you know, I know how that goes. But we begin to make God's principles our principles. We take responsibility to say, I'm going to invest in these people. I'm going to love these people. And listen, if you've been at Journey more than a, more than a few times, I am calling on you, God is calling on you, and I am expecting for you to find those folks that are out on the fringes and welcome them into your circle. Let that circle continue to grow. Because at the end of the day, it is always, and it always will be about Jesus. It's not about me, it's not about you. Always, always, always about Jesus. When we make that our primary goal within this body it will change everything. I want to thank those of you who have committed to this, and many of you have, and many of you have, and I've not noticed it yet. I see your interaction with people. I see your giving. I see you doing stuff that you weren't asked to do. I see whenever there's a need and you help fill that need. I see it. God sees it. Of all the things that I see, God sees so much more. God sees what you're doing, and I want to thank you for that. My hope is, is that each week, we're not going to be perfect, but each week, individually we'll grow, and together we'll grow as the body. Before I pray with you, I do just want to remind you and invite you again to our, our prayer service that's going to be this evening, 5 o'clock at Stewart Heights in Hickson. It is a wonderful place to be the body of Christ. I love it. I just love it. I love being with all the people that are planning it. I love being with all the different churches. Some of them, I would never go to church at their church, but I love being with them. And so I hope that you would, you'll come out and experience what it can be like to be the bigger body of Christ outside of just who we are. That's what they're doing. And it is a wonderful experience to worship and to pray together, knowing that this matters in the world. This is stuff that really matters. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you I thank you for all those in this room that have been such wonderful examples to my family, to myself, that are working and are active and growing and maturing. They're giving to others. They're showing us what community really looks like. Father, I thank you for those that are sacrificing and they're investing in others. Is actually, it's costing them something, costing them time from things they could be doing, <clears throat> having to sacrifice in order to help someone else. I just thank you for their commitment and the ministry that that has to each of us. Father, as we are, as we are learning about you and growing, help us to celebrate those victories. Help us to see you at work and to be thankful and excited about the adventure you're leading us on. Father, I pray that we would begin to see the world more fully than we do now. And not just that we would notice more people, but we would see supernaturally what's happening around us. I pray that you would give us discernment. I pray that you would give us hope. And as we may look around and struggle with the state of humanity today, I thank you that you died for us all. I thank you that you gave your life so that we could know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.